Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, do keep your Bibles open at that reading, page 8 in the Church Bibles. We don't have time to look at every single verse in detail, but we will need our Bibles in the coming minutes. Let's pray as we turn to God's Word together. Father, we have before us words that are hard to hear. These are tough words. We do pray that you would help us to understand what they mean for us. Please, would they be words that make us wise and able to understand our times and able to understand what it means to be right with you and confident about our future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Words can mean different things for different people. My family discovered this when we first moved from the US to the UK. Uh, We discovered that words can mean different things to different people. Uh, I remember speaking to a Scottish person not long after we moved, and they uh, told me that they just had a chip butty for tea. I had no idea what they meant. Um, In the US, uh, a chip is a British person's crisp, and uh, tea is something you only ever drink in a mug. And I had no idea what a butty was. Um, All I could think of was that they had a mug full of crisps and they drank it. Um, I have no idea how you respond to a person who's just told told you that they've drunk a mug of crisps. But anyway, um, or the word quite. In the US, when someone says something is quite good, they mean exceptional, beyond good. It's a way of, of heightening the praise. Uh, so after a lovely meal, um, one time my mum said to the British host, uh, thank you so much, the meal was quite good. <laughs> and we were just a bit confused by the slightly frosty response we had from the host. Words can mean different things to different people. And, and normally it doesn't really matter if you get it wrong. You can explain yourself, there might be some confusion, but it's okay. Normally it's fine. Except when we turn to our reading from Genesis 6 and 7 today, there is, there is one word in our reading which is often misunderstood, which people get very confused about. And yet if we get this word wrong, we do so at our peril. Last week we saw that Lamech cries out for comfort and peace in a cursed and broken world. He called his son Noah because somehow he had a sense that his son Noah would bring uh, peace and comfort to a, a cursed world. That is what Noah, the name means, comfort. And we saw last week that the reason why the world is broken and cursed is a reason that we cannot fix. It is our sin. It is in our hearts And so having set the scene for us last week, the focus now centers on Noah. We see this um, in verse uh, 9 of chapter 6. This is the account of Noah. We should be on the edge of our seats at this stage. We've just been told this man somehow holds the key to comfort in in a broken and hurting world. And we should want to know, well, what is this key? How will this man Noah do this wonderful thing? What marks this man out from the the rest of the world? Well, verse 9 gives us the answer. And in verse 9, we find this word, 
this one word which we must not get wrong. I wonder if you see which word it is. Verse 9, we continue. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Do you see the word? Righteous. That word is the difference between Noah and the rest of the world. We know how the story of Noah goes, don't we? We know that there's, there's one group called the world, and we, we know that that group is headed for destruction in the flood. And then there's another group, Noah and his family, and that group is headed for survival and rescue. And the only difference between those two groups, between judgment and rescue, is this one little word, righteous. Well, uh, glance further on. We see this again, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Do you see that one little word, righteous, changes everything? It's the difference between destruction and rescue. And what does it mean? And it's no academic question because... The account of the flood is a foretaste of that final terrible judgment when Christ returns. That's very clear from the New Testament. We'll see that later on. And as in Noah's day, so in that final day, the difference between judgment and rescue will be this one word, righteous. And so that's our task this morning, to let the Bible show us what this word means for Noah and for us. And if we get our thinking clear on what it means to be righteous, how we are righteous, then we will find that our thinking is getting clear about where we find comfort in a broken world. So what does it mean to be a righteous person? Well, uh, we could look back at the rest of Scripture and find out how this word is used in other places um, beforehand. Except we can't because this is the very first time the word is used in the Bible. This is a brand new word for the Bible. We can't look back. Uh, well, perhaps we could look at Noah's life. Look at how Noah lived and uh, work out from his life what it must be to be a righteous person. Maybe that's how we do it. Well, let's look at Noah's life so far. uh, We know um, back in chapter 5 that he's around 500 years old at this point. We know he's got three sons. We know his dad is called Lamech. And that's it. We know nothing else about this man. Uh, 500 years old, middle age back in those days. Three sons, normal, typical. In other words, so far, Noah is Mr. Joe Bloggs of the ancient world. We know nothing that marks him out. We know nothing about his quiet times. We know nothing about his prayer life, whether he is slack or diligent. We know nothing about his giving to the church, to charity. We know nothing about his marriage, whether he's a kind, patient husband or whether he's a good, loving father. We know nothing about his heart, whether he has a problem with pride or he backstabs or he gossips. We know nothing about this man. Or some will say, well, verse 9 of chapter 6 says that Noah was blameless, that he lived, that he walked with God. Maybe that means that's a legal term. Maybe he's blameless with respect to the law. Maybe he keeps the Ten Commandments. Maybe he's a good law-abiding citizen. 
But Noah has no law. That comes centuries later. How can we say that Noah is blameless? How can we say that he is a righteous person? And this is foundational because this is the first time the Bible shows us righteousness. And this will form our thinking as we read through the rest of Scripture. So how can we discover what it means for Noah to be righteous? Well, I think the author has been very deliberate. He wants us not to look back at a previous passage or a previous life, but to look forward and to examine what Noah does next. And as we see what he does, we are seeing an example of a righteous man. And that is what we do now. We look forward at what we discover about Noah in chapters 6 and 7. What does it mean to be a righteous man? I've got two very simple but I think utterly profound points that come out of this episode. The first of all, Noah was righteous. He found comfort because first of all, he, he believed God's warning about judgment. He believed God's warning about judgment. We saw last week how God felt about the sin of the world. He was grieved by all that he saw. And in verse 12, we see nothing has changed. Verse 12 of chapter 6, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And so in verse 14, God says to Noah, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. God's warning about judgment is so very clear. As much as it pains God, as as much as he's been slow to anger, as much as he's delayed this course of action, the time has come, says God, I must act. I must judge the world. But you see, first he warns. And Noah believed God's warning about judgment. How do we know? We're not told about Noah's thought life at this point. We don't know what he's thinking. But we do see what he does. So verse 22, we read, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Or 7 verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. It just takes a few seconds to say those verses. Noah did all that God commanded him. But when you think about what that means for Noah, that is huge. God has commanded Noah to build an ark, 140, 150 meters long. We don't quite know exactly, but most commentators reckon it took him 100 years. We know that he was aged 500 back in chapter 5, and he's aged 600 when the flood begins. So we reckon about 100 years to build this ark. And for these verses to say that Noah did all that God commanded, well, that's a huge thing for Noah to do. A few years ago, Lorna and I bought a flat, and um, it was relatively run down. It needed lots of uh, work to get it in a fit state to live in. So uh, we cleaned it, and we painted it, and we put new flooring in, and we retiled the bathroom, and we got it all looking nice and sharp. And it took us about five months working on days off and in the evenings. And at the end of five months, I was shattered. I had had enough of DIY. I was done of, uh, doing any of that. And so can you imagine what it must have been like for Noah to spend 100 years building the ark? It would have been exhausting 
back-breaking, blisters, the heat, the exhaustion. Most of us are ready to retire after 45 years of work. Noah kept going for 100 years. Why? Why did Noah persevere? Well, it's because he believed God's warning about judgment. That is a true litmus test, isn't it, for our belief? It's not so much what we say, what we talk about, but it's what we do in practice. And Noah's extraordinary effort to build the ark shows us what he really believed. And he believed God's warning about coming judgment. And we know we're on the right track because of how the New Testament explains it. Do keep a finger in Genesis 6, but flick forward with me to Hebrews 11, which you can find on page 1209 in the church Bibles. 1209, Hebrews 11, and we're in verse 7. And we read in verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Do you see? It's crystal clear. Noah was warned about the flood. He had the right response. He was afraid. That is the right response to the announcement of judgment. And it's because of this holy fear he built an ark to save his family. In other words, Noah believed God's warning about judgment. Now, it seems that Noah was not the only one who knew about the warning. The rest of the world also knew about the warning. We're told in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. I can just imagine Noah with his sons working away day in, day out for that, that 100 years. And uh, people would come up to him and say, well, Noah, what are you doing? Why are you building this massive boat in the middle of a dry area? Uh, why spend so much time and effort? And you can imagine Noah preaching righteousness, preaching that there is a judgment coming, that it is serious, that we can't escape it. So you can imagine him preaching, and you can imagine his hearers turning away. Because we know that only Noah and his family believes God's warning about judgment. And that is why I think uh, Hebrews 11 verse 7 continues... At the end of the verse we read, By his faith Noah condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah condemns the world in that everyone should have taken the warning seriously, but only Noah did. He stood out in that sense. And and in standing out, he became the heir of, there's our word, righteousness that comes by faith. I guess some of us here might have uh, watched that film that came out recently uh, called Noah. Uh, it's about the story of, of Noah, or, well, kind of. It's, it's a pretty loose interpretation of the story. I, I can't recommend it to you. I'm not standing here to say go out and watch the film. But if you have seen it, it does uh, paint quite an interesting uh, portrayal of God. The film never mentions God by name, only it talks about the, the creator who stands behind uh, the world. In the film, the creator is remote, unknowable, unpredictable, hard to read, mysterious. Um, and the humans are, are left trying to work out what the, the creator is thinking behind the scenes. 
And in the film, the humans, well, they are portrayed as being morally flawed. That, that is true. But they're also portrayed as people who are searching for the creator, longing to find out what he wants from them, longing to find out how to be right with him, how to be saved from the flood they know is coming. And at one point in the film, the, uh, the leader of the, of the men, who's not a perfect chap by any means, at one point he cries out to the creator. He wants to know what will happen next. He, know, he knows a flood is coming. He wants to escape the flood. And he cries out and he says this, I am a man made in your image. Speak to me. Why won't you speak to me? But there's silence in the film. The, the creator does not speak back. The man is left unable to know God's plans and therefore unable to escape the coming floods. And the impression that the film gives us about God, if there is a God, that this God is unreasonable, uh, he is secretive, he is pedantic. It's almost as if it's God's fault that people don't know about the judgment. It's the kind of picture that many people who aren't Christians have of God. They they don't believe in God, but if God did exist, then he would be pedantic, he would be mysterious, he would be hard to read, he would be distant. And that's not the kind of God we want to believe in, is it? Except it's just not true. God has spoken. He has revealed himself. He has made his plans known before they happen. There is no mystery about God's intentions. The problem with the world is not a lack of warning. It is a lack of belief. It was true in Noah's day. And it's true in our day. Remember the flood is a, it's a foretaste of that great final judgment when Christ returns. And just as back then, so it will be now and in the future, that people refuse to believe. The problem is not a lack of warning or information. It's a matter of the heart and, and some people try to sidestep this. They, they try to find clever ways to, to maneuver themselves away from this, this warning of God's judgment. Some, some will say this. They'll say, look, if God does judge the world, and I don't think he will, but if he does judge the world, I, I'm sure I'll be okay. Uh, perhaps God will be surprisingly impressed with me. Uh, perhaps I'll be able to outrun whatever comes my way. I'll find some kind of way to sidestep what's coming at me. And so they don't believe that judgment is coming. But do you see how the flood shows us that this just won't be the case? No one escapes. I'm sure we know about the debate about the flood, whether it was a a, a kind of local flood or or a global flood. How big was this flood? And often the question behind the issue is, well, could people have escaped? You know, if it's a local flood, then why not just run around to the next valley and escape the flood there? You'll be fine. And so people debate, was it global, was it local? It's the wrong question to ask. Uh, Flick back with me to to Genesis chapter 7. How big was the flood? Well, look with me uh, at chapter 7, verse 21. This is how big the flood was. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam, that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Verse 23. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. 
how big was the flood? It was big enough. You couldn't avoid it. You couldn't escape it. And as it was back then, so it will be on that final day when Christ returns. There'll be no sidestepping. There'll be no running. There'll be no uh, impressing God. It'll be too late. What others will say, well, we hear about this word of judgment, but we've been waiting so long for it to happen that hasn't it just been cancelled? Or we read about it, you know, Jesus spoke about judgment. The, 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 um, the early letters of the Bible speak about judgment. But that was true back then, but it hasn't happened yet. And after 2,000 years of waiting, nothing has happened. And so we might think, well, we've waited this long. Has it been cancelled? Uh, think of a train. You, 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 you arrive at the train station to catch your train to London or whatever, and it, you're told it's 10 minutes late. You wait 10 minutes, it's been delayed again, 20 minutes, then it's been delayed 30 minutes, and then finally you're told, actually, the train's been cancelled. Is that what's happened with God's judgment? It's been delayed so long, actually, it's been called off. It's been cancelled. Well, there were people in 2 Peter 2 who thought this way. Peter calls them scoffers, people who say the flood uh, won't happen again, as in God won't judge the world again in that Uh, catastrophic way but in 2 Peter 2 we're told not to believe the scoffers because there may have been a delay back in Noah's day a hundred years between the warning and the event and there's a a delay now between the warning and the event of Christ's return but just as it wasn't cancellation back in the flood it's not cancellation now either there is a day it's been set in the diary it is coming when the Lord will judge the world And it's hard. It's hard to be like Noah and to continue to believe God's warning about judgment. We see people all around us living their lives and they get on so well. They seem to have a fulfilled life. They they invest in the things of this earth and they seem to be doing well, sometimes better than us. It's hard when people mock us for talking about judgment. They say that uh, it's not PC. It's kind of language of the last century. We're told to move on and to grow up and to be more modern. And yet, the example of Noah helps us to stand firm in our belief in God's promise about judgment. He helps us not to be like the world, not to doubt. Helps us not to play loose and fast in our own hearts with the reality of God's judgment in the future. What does it mean to be righteous? Notice so far that we've had no mention of quiet times or giving money to charity or uh, pride. No, we've only talked about one thing so far, that is believing God's warning about judgment. There is one other point that we must make, and this is much more uh, quickly. What does it mean to be righteous? Secondly, as we finish, uh, Noah was righteous because he believed God's promise about rescue he believed God's promise about rescue you see God didn't just promise judgment wonderfully he also promised rescue to Noah look back at Genesis chapter 6 with me verse 17 God is speaking to Noah and he says I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens 
Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But, verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with them. Wonderful words of rescue to Noah. God says that he will establish his covenant with Noah. I think that's referring to the covenant we read about in chapter eight. We'll come on to that next week. But what God is, God is saying is, you will still be alive long enough to have a covenant made with me. You'll still be around after the flood, after the judgment. You will still be able to have a relationship with me. God is promising to Noah rescue through judgment, life beyond judgment. and It is found in entering the ark. And here is the other reason why Noah built the ark. Because he believed the ark would be enough. He believed that it would indeed take him through the waters of judgment, that it would be strong enough, that it would endure. Now, I guess Noah did not have a degree in nautical engineering. I'm guessing he wasn't an experienced boat builder, not on this scale, certainly. He had no personal experience to know if what God was saying would work. He had, he had God's promise, and that was it. He had God's blueprints, and that was it. God said to him, build the ark like this. Here's my blueprint for rescue. And Noah did it. God gave him the instructions about the shape of it, the, the, the finishing of it. And Noah believed that it would be enough. He believed in God's rescue, and so he built what God asked him to build. And we see as we see what happened to Noah, as we see how God rescues Noah through the waters of judgment, there is so much to encourage us as we finish, as we think about our own rescue on that final day. Notice God's attention to detail in these verses. He is so careful about the animals, getting the right pairs together and getting the seven pairs and, and having food for everyone to survive. He, he's not just um, making it up as he goes along. This is a detailed plan. And then I love these words in chapter uh, 7, verse 16. We read, the Lord shut Noah in to the ark. As the, as the storms were uh, raging all around him, God just closed the door. In other words, God is powerful enough to judge the world and to destroy it. But he's not so high and mighty that he doesn't notice the little ones, the details, the people. And when it comes to rescue, God will notice us. He knows about us. He has a detailed plan which works. It worked for Noah and the ark, and it will work for us on that final day. And notice also that uh, God has a track record in bringing people through judgment. Verse 23 of chapter 7, as we finish. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Do you see? The ark worked. It was strong enough to withstand the judgment. God has a track record of bringing people through judgment. He knows what it takes. He has a blueprint which is strong enough. And when we come to the person of his dear son, Jesus Christ, we see the dimensions, the shape, the reality of his ultimate rescue.
and we know it is strong enough. It will take us through the storm. We don't know what it'll be like on that great and final day. We don't have the details. It will be dreadful. There will be judgment. But we know that whoever is righteous, that is, whoever believes God's warning about judgment and whoever believes God's promise about rescue, that is, whoever walks in the footsteps of Noah, we can be confident that our ark, Christ, will take us through that storm. For those who are Christians, we are called in Christ, aren't we? We are in him and he will bring us through. I don't know what it'll be like, but I know that there will be a future beyond the storm. And there will be a new creation where there is no uh, tears or pain or suffering. There will be comfort and rest. But that is for next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is so very clear. We thank you that you have written to make us wise about our times and about our hearts, wise about what it means to be righteous, about what it means to find comfort. And Father, we thank you so much for your precious son. We thank you that uh, in him there is safety. We thank you that he is strong enough to bring us through uh, the strongest of storms of your judgment. Our Father, may we be those who uh, find great comfort, great solace in knowing that we are in Christ and may we never seek to leave. In Jesus' name, amen.